The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show with Larry Rosenthal himself here in studio with us. Good to see you again, sir. Well, good morning, Chris, and you're looking pretty good today. Thank you, thank you. I try really, really hard. (laughs) I'm going to have to come up with a better line because it seems to be the same thing each week, right? (laughs) Well, I come up with a new line each week. You know, I put makeup on this week. What do you want? Nice. Perfect radio face you have. (laughs) Thank you. I love you, too. Very good. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. It's all fun. Yeah, yeah. It's all fun. It's all good. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal's show here. You know, week in review, we always start the show off with, you know, a little bit of what the markets did this past week, the economy outlooks and things like that. And some announcement this week's were this past week was pretty big. The Fed's looking to reduce its balance sheet in October. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit about what that means. It also suggested that there's going to that they well they kept interest rates unchanged this past week and did suggest that there's probably going to be one more rate hike before the end of 2017. They're anticipating three rate increases in 18 and two in 19. You know, they're, they're trying to normalize interest rates, which I think is a good thing. And as long as they do it on a slow, long glide path of raising rates that way, it should be okay. Uh, positive news, they, they announced that the, they're expecting, you know, this is just still an estimate, that GDP will come in this year slightly higher than their estimates were in the second quarter. And they're, they're shooting for 2.2%. So we'll have to see how that, that comes out as well. Um, they also reduced their inflation expectation for the end of the year from 1.7 to 1.5 percent. They're targeting inflation at 2 percent, but they're saying it's not going to reach that until 2019. So, Chris, what does all this mumbo-jumbo mean anyway, right? (laughs) What does it mean? I know you're going to tell me. I can You and I as investors with all this Wall Street speak and Fed talk and things like that. Bottom line is the economy is expanding slowly, and the Federal Reserve trying to raise interest rates to normalize them. As long as they don't do it too much, too fast, things should be okay. You so know, at the end of the day, you know, A on the uh, report card. Oh, good. You know, I know a lot of people probably have this on your mind, and I'm not sure how you want to talk about it, but I know that they're thinking about it. The uh, press conference the other day with uh, Mr. Mnuchin and uh, the business with uh, North Korea, and all of the you know geopolitical issues with uh, shutting down a lot of the currencies around the world, doing business. If you do business with North Korea, essentially, then you don't do business with the United States. That's got to have some sort of an effect. Have you seen that, or, or is it way too early to know? It's way too early to know, but that is a major economic sanction against them, and we'll have to see what happens there. You know, I mean, obviously, nobody wants anything bad to happen. And who knows what what uh, you know this gentleman is going to do over there? So let's uh, let's Just keep an eye on Say it, some guess. prayers and, yeah. and you know and uh, hope you know. Well, we know one thing: the Lord's got it all under control anyway. So 
that's what we have to, to rest our hats on. Amen to that. Speaking of that, that's what you talk about a lot here on this program is the Lord. It really is the Lord's money, and we tend to sometimes want to take those reins back. That is true. That is true. When you're starting to fight with it all, you know, and, oh, I want to make this decision and that and everything, you know. Uh, but that's all part of our sanctification process, Chris. Amen. God's teaching us how to manage not only everything else in our life, but our money, too. So we need to pray and, and understand that, that it is his and, and put it first. Put him first, excuse me. Yeah. Spend um, a little more time in faith and in prayer. Funny. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to jump back real quick, though, to sure. the Fed talking about reducing its balance sheet. You know, this is going to be big. This is uh, the the news is going to start to really hit next month. And and people are going to go, what does this mean? What's going to happen? Are the markets going to get rocked a little bit? What does this all mean? So back in 2008 in the financial crisis, when they started doing quantitative easing, they started printing money. The Federal Reserve started buying bonds from the Treasury. And, and you know, their balance sheet has, has uh, expanded to $4.5 trillion of Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Um, on on their balance sheet, so they want to get that off. So they're going to start doing this in lots of ten billion dollars starting next month in October, that they're going to dump into the marketplace, and then they're going to put a put a uh, uh, increase it by ten billion every month until it reaches a, a total of fifty billion dollars that they want to bring into the marketplace. So what does that mean? Mm. You know, I had I had some conversations this past week with some different mutual fund companies, and we were talking about all of this, and strategists, and economists, and all this, and and some people are viewing it meaning one way, some people are viewing it meaning another way. I find it very interesting that the biggest bond buyer in the marketplace is now going to be selling off bonds. So if there's too much supply, what happens to prices? Prices drop. In bonds, there's an inverse relationship to that. If prices drop, that means the interest or yields go up. So we're probably going to see interest rates start to climb a little bit. The 10-year note, the 30-year bond, all right, that could affect mortgages as well. And that's going to leave room for the Federal Reserve to raise rates on the short end. So your bank accounts will get a little bit more interest. So it's very interesting how it's being engineered right now. And we'll have to wait and, and see exactly how this plays out. Does that mean we should be buying bonds at this point or not? Probably not. Yeah. We, may wanna, we, we don't want to buy bonds that are interest rate sensitive, but maybe credit sensitive, because those bonds tend to do better when interest rates are rising. So it depends on what your objective is. Remember, bonds, the primary investment objective, Chris, of bonds is current income and also to provide a ballast in your portfolio. You know, if, if your portfolio is made up of 100% stocks and all of a sudden the market pulls back 5%, your portfolio could get hit pretty good. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if your portfolio is maybe 75 equities and 25 bonds and the, and the equities pull back 5%, those bonds might might give you a little bit of stability in your portfolio, and that's what they're designed to do. So it just really depends on the types of bonds that you own. We've talked about this for, for a number of years on on this show, as well as others that, that I've been on, that when interest rates start to rise, your interest-sensitive bonds will go down in value, but your credit-sensitive bonds should rise in value, and that's been how it's been playing out thus far. So we'll wait and see what happens here with this next move with the Federal Reserve. So lots of economic news there. U.S. home sales declined a little bit in August, but that's okay. You know, it's 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 a trend. The trend is still pushing upwards and onward, which well, is it's been thing. going well for a while now. Uh, with the 
with the with the actually the home values have seemed to be popping up a little bit over time. Home values are popping up. The uh, uh, the consumer, you and I, Chris, the consumer out there, yeah. have have uh, the largest um, uh, what do you call it? net worth that we've ever had, hmm. uh, which is a good thing. So you know, a lot of a lot of people have been de-risking or not de-risking, but have been. Um, getting rid of their debt since the financial crisis over over nine years ago, and that's a very good positive thing when it, when it comes to building your own net worth and stuff, and getting ready for retirement too. You know that that person who was fifty five years old nine years ago, sixty four, sixty five now they they're viewing economics a whole different way mm-hmm. than when they were at their peak of their earning years. Now they're moving into the retirement years, and there's a whole lot of boomers out there facing that that typical type of scenario. Will so. we will we ever see the values in the homes uh, back uh, when they were in 2008 when the bubble was at its height will they ever come back to that point? Possibly one day. Mm-hmm. But you know, they, we we want them to 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 do that on a slow steady I- incline, not such a dramatic push up. Mhm. When it comes to that, and a lot of that was due to uh, well, fancy mortgages and different things like that. Yeah, stated income stuff and things like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and 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 a lot of demand for for people to to do that. So, prices of real estate go up and down based off of the demand for that asset. All right, and if there's a bigger demand moving into this space, then yeah, prices will will drive will drive itself up. Definitely, it will. Hey, listen to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Go ahead and give us a ring here at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123 to reach me live here in the studio with any of your financial planning, your personal finance, any of your investment questions at all. We're going to be talking about the TSP today. We'll talk about all different types of programs as well. Give us a call at 855-ROSE-123. Back in a moment with more Making Money Sense. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big? Nonprofit organization called Stars Children Africa. Do you want to be a part of something that changes a child's life? Orphans who are high school age who would not have a chance to get education otherwise. Now you can be part of something that brings hope. What we do is we actually pay for the school fees. For about the cost of a new suit, you can change an orphan's future for a whole year. We pay for the school fees, and that averages around $500 to $550 a year total. That means food, lodging, the teaching, the education part, the the uniform, that whole thing. Call now, 703-201-2494, or go to starschildrenafrica.org. For a dollar and a half a day, one child would be educated for that year in high school. 703-201-2494. Call right now. For $500 a year, you can change an orphan's life. 703-201-2494. And welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in to talk to Larry, here's our phone number, 855 855- 767-3123-855-ROSE-123. Larry here in studio with me once again. 
What's going on? What's going on? Lots of stuff's going on, Chris. I know. TSP was in the news this past week, which is the government's thrift savings plan, or the equivalent to uh, private industries, 401Ks and 403Bs. They're talking about changing some legislation around on the TSP. They're talking about maybe changing some legislation around on the civil service retirement pensions, as well as the federal employees' retirement system That doesn't affect anybody in our area. Oh, it affects people all across the nation, for sure. Yeah, but heavily in this area, for sure. Definitely, definitely. So... You know, neither neither chamber in Congress has has even initiated it. There's just some stuff in the budget for 2018 that they're looking at, and it's probably going to be throwaway things. So mm-hmm. don't panic or anything like that. Uh, there's going to be lots of uh, talk about all of this stuff. At the end of the day, though, you know, if if you're if you're retired and your pension plan gets changed from a, a COLA program of 1.5% to a COLA program of 1% or vice versa or whatever it may be, you know, these are, these are reasons why you, you run financial plans out and you, you do contingency planning for different programs such as this. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying there's some information in the, in the budget stuff that was released the other day. Lots of people talking about it, lots of phone calls. There's really not much to talk about as far as it goes, because it, it hasn't even gotten legs yet into it all. So so I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing with this health care bill that's uh, supposed to be voted on next week as well. There's just not a lot of knowledge about what's really going on there, even if it'll go through. And what is it going to what is it going to do to the economy on top of that? I mean, we just don't know. Right. I mean, that's just kind of where we are. Well, I can tell you what it's going to do to the economy. Anytime there's government expansion of a program. Now, I'm not talking about a good or bad program. That's a different debate. But any program, then it, then it weighs on the economy. Mm-hmm. Whenever government expands, it takes GDP out of the economy. But we need government, and we need government services. The big question is, Chris, and it's not really going to be answered on this show, okay, because <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of shows that yell and scream at each other across the different channels about it. But the question basically is, you know, where do you draw that line as to, what services need to be provided, what services are necessary, what services are rights, what services should you vote on, what services yeah. are priorities, and then how big are those services? That, that's the great debate constantly in Congress, um, uh, you know, from the citizenship. You know, and, and there's all different opinions and things like that. But I will tell you, you asked, what does it do economically? What does it do to the economy? It, it drags the economy if there's not dollars there to pay for it. And those dollars need to be returned to the citizenry in services. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a happy balance there. So we'll see if they can get that one right, huh? <laughs> yes, we will. We will. Yep, be. yep. So, you know, I'm just not going to. We, anyway, there's it's not lots something of we programs. can prognosticate on this. Yeah, we really can. You know, who knows what they're going to vote for? Yeah. Who knows what they're going to do? You know, there, there's there's uh, senators and, and and people on there praising it and, and and kicking it down and all kinds of things. So we just have to wait and see what passes. I guess once we've once that's happened, then we can actually look at it more objectively and say, okay, now we know the direction we're going and what it might do to the economy at that point. Correct. But there is one thing for sure. There's there's a tremendous amount of people, you and I both, aging through society. That's what we do every year. We get this little thing called birthdays, right? Yeah. And as we move towards that, we move towards Medicare and Social Security and and you know, those are those are big funded programs that, that need funding. There's def- no doubt about that. As well as health care now. So 
We'll have to take a look and see what they do. That's all. I'm there not, you go. Yep, yep. So not overly enthused about talking about which way it's going to go or how you should vote or oh wait we don't get a vote on that do we oh that's another story anyway yeah, we'll talk about that so, later hey i see some phones are lit up let's go yes, let's go to the phones here and everyone else i'm calling because um you mentioned that the iras at age 70 and a half you'd have to pay some taxes on it and i thought i heard you say but not a roth so What's the difference, and what are the pros and cons of a Roth IRA? Absolutely. What a great question. So there, let's break it out into two categories right now, Jada. Um, one is the traditional IRA where all the money that's inside of it has never been taxed before because when you put the money into it, you, you are taking a current year's tax deduction for it. Or maybe you rolled it over from a 401K plan that's never been taxed. The second scenario is on the Roth IRA, it's after-tax money that goes in, and while it's in there, it grows tax-deferred, and as long as it stays in there for five years or to 59 and a half, whichever is longer, you can pull out the principal and the earnings completely tax-free. So when you approach age 70 and a half with the traditional IRA, money that's never been taxed before, there's a rule. It's called your required minimum distribution rule at 70 and a half, and to get technical on it, really you have until April 1st of the year following you turn 70 and a half, which gets really confusing for a lot of people that you have to pull money out. Bottom line is this, the traditional IRA, Jada, that's never been taxed is filled with money that the IRS obviously is letting us grow tax-deferred, which is a wonderful thing. We get a tax deduction to put it in, which is another wonderful thing. However, at some point in life, they want it to come out. So there's a rule, required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half, and each year after, you, you do a calculation and you have to take a certain amount of money out. And let's suppose your calculation says you have to take out $10,000 this year. If you neglect to take the money out, then you have to pay a 50% tax on the 10000 or five grand in taxes plus income taxes <clears throat> Excuse me, on the money that would have come out. So each year you have to pay that that required you have to take that required minimum distribution. Most people pull it out, pay the tax, and turn it right around and reinvest it somewhere else. Okay, that's okay. what a lot of people do, or they try and put it into a wealth replacement plan that has insurance inside of it to promote more tax-free dollars for their heirs or charities. Now, on the other side of the tax ledger, the Roth rules, the money in the Roth is all tax-free. And there's no age 70 and a half requirement that you have to pull the money out, okay? Um, so the basic scenario here is that with the Roth, even, e even, when you, e even if the money passes to an heir, okay, there's no taxes on it. However, there is an exception that once the money goes to an heir, usually say a non-spousal beneficiary, they have to start pulling the money out. Okay, you just can't let Roth money grow generation after generation tax free. You've got to start pulling the money out. So at the end of the day, Jada, it's a good scenario to have what we call tax allocation. We want a little bit of money pre-tax and a little bit of money that is post-tax uh, to come out tax free. Uh, it's very important. So when we sit down with our clients, we do this sort of tax matrix and we take a look at the differences between the pre-tax and the post-tax Roth scenario to see how your taxes are going to play out. Because when it, when it comes to taxation of Social Security income and your Medicare premiums and things like that, it gets kind of tricky and it can cost you more money 
in retirement years if you don't if you have too much money saved up on the wrong side of the tax ledger ledger. Uh, okay, so with the Roth then if it was to be passed on to an heir, they would have to pay the taxes on it when they got it? No, on a Roth there is no taxation due at all. Even to the heir. Okay. okay it's that, all go, it's all gonna no come cons, out tax Okay, there's no cons, no cons. I mean is this pros all for a Roth? Yeah, from the tax standpoint, Roths are a lot better. Now, here's the scenario. In order to put money into the Roth, you either have to contribute each year to the Roth, and you can do that only if you have earned income and you meet certain income guidelines. Okay, most people can contribute to a Roth. The second scenario is you would convert from your traditional IRA over to a Roth. However, that's debatable on whether you should do that or not because if you – let's suppose you have – you know, $500,000 sitting in an IRA, and you want to convert 100000 of it to the Roth. So you have 500000 sitting in the traditional IRA, and you want to convert 100000 to the Roth. You have to pay income taxes that year on the $100,000 that you're converting. It could become very expensive at that particular point. So what a lot of people will do, Jada, is they'll say, okay, I have this $500,000 traditional IRA. I'm going to go ahead and do series of little tiny conversions each year. Maybe they're going to convert $10,000 each year, so their tax impact is very little. So suppose you're age 60, and each year you convert $10,000 for 10 years up to age 70. Now at age 70, you have sitting in the tax-free Roth side $100,000 plus or minus any earnings that you may have that can come out to you tax-free during your 70s and 80s and pass on to heirs tax-free. So when we talk to people about their tax allocation strategy – pre-tax or Roth side of the, the, the ledger, we sit down and we'll construct out this type of a, a, of a game plan year by year on how much they should convert or not. We have clients that are converting little tiny weird amounts so that it doesn't move you into the upper tax, you know, uh, the next tax bracket. Suppose you're in a 25% tax bracket and you can convert, you know, $11,284 before it moves you to the next tax bracket up. We want to, we want to, prohibit you from getting that tax bracket creep. You see what I mean? So so it's it, it, there, there's a game plan involved with it, basically. Now, some advisors are going to tell you you should never convert. You should always stay on the pre-tax side and don't worry about the taxes down the road. And other advisors are going to tell you, you know what, convert it all. I'm kind of in the camp of wanting a little bit of both, okay? Mm-hmm. I kind of want my cake and eat it too a little bit when it comes to this scenario. I recognize that we the, the very good value of having pre-tax money as well as Roth money. So it, it also depends on what your objectives are and things like that. I'll tell you what I'm going to do here, Jade. I've got to pick up some more calls, but I'm going to put you on hold, and we'll have one of our advisors give you a ring next week. And then okay. uh, they can sit down with you or explain to you over the phone on a more personalized basis, get some information from you and things like that, and really give you some guidance on that, maybe send you out our toolkit. So let me put you on hold, Jada, and we'll give you some information on, on Roth conversions. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal's show. Give us a ring here at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Let's welcome Gina on the line. Good morning, Gina. How are you today? Uh, not too bad, sir. Thank you so much uh, for your show and taking my call. Sure. How can I help you, Gino? Yes, sir. A couple of questions. Um, regarding mortgages, I'm 50, have about uh, 250000 left. Wondering, is it best to try to prepay it, get it down, or take that extra money and maybe invest it? 
You know, Gino, here's the scenario there. I'm a big fan of no debt, okay? However, sometimes when it comes to houses, we have to understand, you know, how how man's economy works and God's economy works involved with all of this, okay? First of all, God doesn't want us to, to put money first in our lives. You know, there, there's no doubt about that. We have to understand good stewardship. So if we're going to pay off our home and we end up being house rich and cash poor, what I mean by that is we end up having this beautiful home paid for but no money to do things in life with, well, maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing. On the other hand, if you take a look at what the calculator will show you, if you make your normal mortgage payments, okay, and you want to take an extra payment each year, to pay down your loan or put it into what we would call an equity endowment plan where you take that extra payment or those extra payments each year and put it into a, a conservative mutual fund or something like that, now you're getting compound interest on appreciating sums while you're paying down your simple interest on your mortgage with a good tax advantage. And then later down the road, you can pull out that money and pay the home off. But this way, it enables you to have both the a system to start paying down the home, but you're just putting the extra the excess equity payments in a side fund. So it really goes to how you want to to ultimately you know manage the cash flow of debt reduction versus saving for retirement and things like that, and college funding and 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 all those types of scenarios right there. Um, if you look at just strictly the calculator, it's going to tell you not to pay, make extra payments. On the other hand, I don't know what your, your financial situation is and what your ultimate goals are. Are you going to want to stay in this house forever? Is this the final home, or what's the story there? Uh, don't know. Probably be there for the next 10 years. Then I would probably tell you, Gino, not to pay extra payments into the house. I would probably tell you to go ahead and put those extra payments into a side fund. Even if you put it in the bank, it's okay, all right? Because think about this. Let's suppose that the value – let me just play something out here. Let's just suppose that the value of your home, just so I can do math easy today, is $500,000, and you're going to make an extra payment for the next 10 years of, let's say, $10,000, okay? So you're going to put an extra $833 a month into the mortgage payment, just to make up math easy. So over 10 years, you've paid down an extra $100,000 on the house. But at your time frame, 10 years from now, you can't tell me what the economy is going to be doing. Nobody can. Maybe, the, maybe the, the, the housing market has gone way up at that point. Maybe the housing market has dropped maybe by just 10%, which is not a far-fetched scenario, right? Well, if you take a look at it now over the next 10 years, you put $100,000 extra into this home, and on your time frame 10 years from now, when it's time for you to move, the economy's not going to turn around and go, well, wait a minute here, Gino's moving. we got to make sure everything's working for him. No, you're going to have to look at what your time frame is with what's going on in the economy. And if the, if the housing market has dropped 10% at that particular point on this $500,000 house, now it's only worth $400,000. You've basically lost 50000 of the extra 100000 of equity you put into the house. Right? Okay. Right. That's not a good scenario. But if you're going to tell me, hey, I'm going to stay in this house, yes, it can work the opposite way. But here's the scenario on the opposite way. Let's suppose that the house goes up by 10, by 
<coughs> now the house is worth what? Five fifty. Now suppose you would have put this extra hundred thousand dollars into the bank. Now you've created another fifty thousand dollars of equity out of thin air just because the house value went up, and you still have the hundred thousand dollars in the bank or in a mutual fund. Do you see what I mean? So, 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 take the scenario very simply. There's two houses across the street from each other. One house is fully paid for. It's worth five hundred thousand dollars. The other house, identical, has a hundred percent mortgage on it, but it's also worth five hundred thousand dollars. If the property value goes up by ten percent, the house that's fully paid for is worth five fifty. The house that's fully mortgaged is worth five fifty, and it creates fifty thousand dollars of equity out of dirt. Right. See, equity in your house goes up or down simply based off the value of your home. It doesn't provide a rate of return at all. It just goes up or down. But if you were to tell me, hey, wait a minute, this is going to be my retirement home, now we have to take a look at, okay, what does your economic scenario look like to pay this home off as you approach retirement? Again, as I said earlier in the, in the conversation, I'm a big fan of no debt or very small manageable debt. But we have a scenario here of this asset that used several, you know, it can be used several different ways in this scenario, Gino, to help you, you know, maintain good stewardship, maintain uh, the, the right thing to do, keep liquidity, all that type of stuff. One scenario could be let's just go ahead and pay it down. The other scenario could be let's manage it properly using this asset to promote the next home, which may be the retirement home. So it's 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 not a one size fit all. It's not a drive through happy meal scenario where I'm going to take number seven on the menu. Okay, it's really more of a personalized scenario and what you want to try to accomplish. But if you did tell me that that you're going to probably move, then I would say look at putting it into a, a bank or, or something like that so that you 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 don't run into this risk. And then again, it also goes to you might come back and say, well, Larry, I make so much money that I can afford this issue and I just want to pay it down. Well, then so be it, you know. But it's really more of a personal scenario. You know, there's nine different ways to actually manage this type of scenario. I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold, Gino. If you like, I'll have one of our advisors give you a ring next week and step you through how it would be best worked for you and your family when it comes to, to managing this this home, the debt, the extra money that you want to put towards paying off this home, Okay. All right, Gina, I'll put you on hold there. Appreciate the phone call. You listen to Making Money Sense. Let's give us a ring here at 855-ROSE-123, 855-767-3123. With any of your financial planning or investment questions, two great questions here this morning. Oh, yeah. Getting deep into some financial planning, some tax laws, understanding the rules of money, compound interest, all kinds of stuff on it. Let's go ahead and shoot on up to Maryland and welcome Yvette on the line. Good morning, Yvette. How are you today? Good morning, Larry. And how are you? I'm wonderful. How can I help you today? Well, um, the Roth. Um, putting money from the traditional after it's taxed out, can it be put into the Roth? Or I, saw, I heard you say it's only earned income into yes. the Roth? No, you can't do that, Yvette. Here's the scenario. To make a contribution to an IRA, any IRA, you yeah. have to be under 70 and a half, and you have to have earned income. In other words, you have to have income that you're paying Social Security FICA tax on. Okay. So if you have money in a traditional IRA that's never been taxed before and you pull some of it out and, and 
and pay the tax on it underneath the age 70 and a half required minimum distribution rule and then try to put that into a Roth, you cannot do that. But if you take the money from your traditional IRA and convert it to Roth, then you can do that. There's a difference. The required minimum distribution rule of pulling money out and then taking the after-tax and putting it into a Roth, that's considered a contribution. But a conversion, you can do that at any age, and you don't need earned income in order to do that. So so your objective can be accomplished, but it has to be through a conversion process, not a required minimum distribution, pay the tax, and then a contribution. You can't do that. Okay, okay, okay. But you can, if you're over 70 and a half, you can move that over. That's not a problem at all. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. Would you like us to send you out some info on how that can be done? Oh, absolutely. 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 Okay, Vet, I'm going to put you on hold, and Bob will get some of your information, and we'll send you out some, some ways to do the Roth conversion. Let's show you sort of a scenario of, of how best to go about doing it. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Go ahead and dial us up here, 855-ROSE-123. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. I'm Larry Rosenthal. are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. For more information about how Larry and his team can help you, go to LarryRosenthal.com. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in, we've got a couple of lines available for you. Now's a good time to get in. 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123. Now more with Larry Rosenthal. Let's welcome Grace on the line from Maryland. Good morning, Grace. How are you today? I'm fine. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. How can I help you? Thank you so much for your insights. You're welcome. Yeah, um, I was teaching with the District of Columbia, and then I left the school system separated. I was not up to the age of uh, retirement. Um, I was told to come back when I'm 62 to retire. So I was wondering what I need to do with the money that is in my retirement in that school system. Well, there's a couple of different piles of money for you, Grace. There could be a pension that they could be talking about or a maybe a 457 plan or probably a 403B plan. 
And so if it was a plan that you contributed to, then you're eligible to leave it there um, or you're eligible to roll it over into an IRA. By rolling it to an IRA, it may give you better investment choices than what's inside the plan. Sometimes these plans are limited by their menu of choices as far as their investment lineups go. Um, But I would really need to see specifically what you're talking about because one thing didn't make sense to me. They said you had to come back at 62 to claim. To retire because um, when I was separated, I didn't have the age or the years to be able to retire. So So are they asking you to come back to work at 62 or just claim your retirement at 62? Just to come back and file for retirement because since I wasn't of the age to retire at the time, this was 2011. So then, yes, some of these programs, yep, absolutely. Some of these programs will go ahead and, and, and make you wait to a certain age to claim these benefits. But that's what you'll, you'll really need to do. So you may have a pension plan sitting there and probably a 403B plan that's sitting there as well. Okay. At the four, which one is the 403B? That's the one that you contributed to out of your paycheck. And you saw different lineups of mutual funds probably or even in some cases an annuity inside some of those plans where you would get a quarterly statement and it would show you how it's going up and down with the market. Oh, no, they don't have that. Don't, all they have is just your pension. So I okay. was thinking maybe I should go and pull out the pension and put it in something else. Or well, I, I would – I if you're going – if you're – yeah, if you're looking at, at taking your pension in a lump sum and putting it into something else, mm-hmm. I want you to make sure that you understand the value of this pension first because okay. the pension is going to give you guaranteed payments for your life and possibly even a survivor benefit to your spouse versus okay. if you roll it over somewhere else, you got you really need to make sure that those payments are guaranteed wherever you're rolling it over to. So I want you to be very careful on that. As a matter of fact, Grace, I'm going to go ahead and have one of our advisors give you a call next week because this is one of the largest financial decisions that you could be making in your life, okay? Yes. So I want to let Bob get some information to you. We'll have somebody give you a call to step you through how to do that. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal. Give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123. Let's welcome Dave on the line from Fairfax. Good morning, Dave. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, I have a question. So um, I'm married uh, for a few years. We have uh, one kid on the way, and I'm in my mid-30s, and the only uh, source of income for my family because my wife stays home. Uh, and uh, for my work, I'll be relocating um, in a few months, maybe four to six months. Uh, and uh, where we're going is not we're not sure yet, and we may have to relocate in a couple of years again if that's not where we, where we want to live, uh, you know, for the majority of our life. Um, we own a home currently, or are paying mortgage on one, and uh, probably have about 35% equity in the house based upon the value. Uh, and my question was, as we relocate, should we be looking into renting for the next two to three years? Or should we actually buy, um, you know, purchase a new house and then uh, look to sell it again? Um, The one thing that I can mention is that my company helps with reload costs and uh, pays the closing costs uh, when we, whether we uh, sell a house or, or, or purchase a new one. Will they purchase the house for you if you can't sell it in a timely manner? Yes. So if I, they will purchase, they will, um, 
for instance, for our current house, basically they will get a couple of appraisers out there and whatever the average is going to be, they're going to go ahead and purchase the house from me uh, and then they'll sell the house. And if, the, if, if they sell it for more than what they purchased it for me, I'll get the, I'll get the difference. If not, um, I'll just get to keep what I, what I have. Well, Dave, it sounds like to me it's very favorable for you to go ahead and buy. It really okay, does. So you know, I mean, if the question is this, is when you ultimately move, if the economy is looking like it's tilting over towards a recession at that time, which I don't think we're going to see that uh, for a while. Okay. But if it does, then I would probably caution to rent because you don't want to you don't want to buy a house and then have to move two years later if the economy starts to contract. That's really the, the biggest issue right there. Let's welcome Donna on the line from Springfield. Good morning, Donna. How are you today? Yes, good morning, Larry. A question about wealth replacement plans. As you were talking about uh, uh, required minimum distributions, what are your suggestions for uh, that money if you have no in, uh, need for that? What do you do with the money? I mean, sure. if you take it out and put it in the bank, you're taxed again on it. That's correct. So there's a, the, the wealth replacement plans is sort of a – a concept that can be done many, many different ways. And I'll give you a couple of quick examples here. We're coming down towards the end of the show. I'll try and give you a couple quick examples. So let's suppose that your required distribution is, let's say, um, uh, $10,000 a year, and you pull the money out, or 10000 this year. You pull the money out. You have to pay taxes on that 10000 So let's say you end up with $7,000 left. Pay 30% in taxes. Fair enough for the example, right? So yes. now you have the $7,000, and what are you going to do with the money? Well, a lot of times people will say, you know what, I, I want to reinvest it, and ultimately it's going to go to my heirs, my kids, my grandkids, wherever it may be. So now if you want to go ahead and reinvest it back into the bank, you're going to earn interest and pay taxes on that interest each year. If you put it into mutual funds or stocks or bonds or whatever it is, you, you may pay some taxes each year. And ultimately, that money is going to go to your heirs. If you set it up properly, they could actually receive a stepped-up-in-tax basis on the day of your death. If you put the $7,000 in year after year, let's say for 10 years, it might be worth 70000 plus some earnings, maybe 100000 If you were to pass, they can pull the 100000 out if it's set up properly and not have to pay taxes on that 30000 of gain. That's one way to go about doing it. Another way is is to take a look at the 7000 a year and purchase some life insurance. A lot of people do this. People go, well, why am I purchasing life insurance at this age in life? Well, the $7,000 can go into a life insurance policy, which now may purchase, I don't know, let's make up a number here, $300,000 of tax-free insurance. So now instead of over the course of 10 years, trying to save $7,000 a year in hopes that the market grows, now you just simply put the money into an insurance policy, and now we have a guaranteed tax-free 300000 in this example that's going to go to your heirs. So that's one way to sort of promote up additional tax-free dollars. Some people will take that money and also make their church or a charity the beneficiary because now for a little bit of money you're actually – increasing a substantial amount of wealth to the ultimate beneficiary, whether it's your heirs, your, your children, grandchildren. You know, so there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that. There's a handful of others, too, but I, I just don't have time to get into all of them. But that gives you the idea of how to take the after-tax proceeds of your required minimum distribution 
and promote it in the most tax-efficient way to your ultimate beneficiaries is what the whole concept is about. Does that make sense? Interesting that that assumes, though, that at 70 and a half you are an insurable person. Well, it does. In that scenario, it does ins- uh, assume that. There's also other ways to do it, too. There's a special insurance policy. And I'm not just sitting here trying to promote insurance. I am just came up with two oh, ideas no, I- re- real quick off the top of my head. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. but there's also a special insurance policy. It's called a second-to-die contract where there's it's one policy written on two lives, maybe you and a spouse, maybe you and an adult child. And therefore, one person in some cases can be uninsurable but you're borrowing a life of the second person, and the death benefit is actually paid on the second person passing. So there is still a way to go about doing that. It's it, it, the, the further you investigate it, the more options that you'll see. There's also charitable trust that you can use involved with all of this as well, uh, pooled income funds, lots of different ways to take that after-tax required minimum distribution money that you're not going to use, right? Okay. Right and promote it in the most tax-efficient way to your heirs. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Housing prices and interest rates have started to move up. This may be your last chance to take advantage of low rates and housing bargains. If you're considering purchasing a home within the next year, you need to call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage First to take advantage of his Loan First program. This can give you a winning bid over the competition, even when you come up against cash offers. The Loan First program will have you fully pre-approved so that you understand all aspects of your loan before you start looking for your dream home. Buy in confidence when you have your Loan First certificate, which shows the seller your loan is already pre-approved and they can avoid any unnecessary negative surprises at settlement. Troy's been helping homeowners for over 20 years in the D.C. metro area, and he and his team are ready to help you. Call him today at 571-490-7117. That's 571-490-7117 for your Loan First pre-approved certificate, 571-490-7117, or simply visit his website at anyhomeloans.com. Remember, you want control when you're making an offer on a home. Get your loan first certificate. Call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage, 571-490-7117. Troy Turow and McLean Mortgage Corporations in MLS number 5618 and 99665. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in to talk to our financial and retirement expert here in studio, let me give you a phone number. It's 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. You're going to want to write that telephone number down if you don't have time to call in now. Because as I understand it, Larry, you don't charge for questions during the week either. Uh, no, we don't, Chris. We have uh, people that are emailing or calling the office asking questions. Hey, Larry, I heard you say this on your radio show. Hey, I saw your newsletter. What about this, this, and this? We send out lots of information throughout the week and, and answer lots of phone calls to people that, that just want to call and ask questions. Facebook page, too, right? We do. We have Facebook. Uh, you know, go go check out Rosenthal Wealth Management Group on Facebook and Twitter at Rosenthal Wealth. Hmm. 
as well as LinkedIn, Larry Rosenthal. So you can go to my website and see it all there, LarryRosenthal.com. You can shoot me off an email. Be happy to answer your questions. We'll send out to you some information that, that you're interested in, in getting based off of your questions. So. Perfect. One of the things I wanted to talk about, Chris, was uh, something came up earlier this week. I was speaking with some investment people, and the the – the the not the concept but the reality of of understanding what you actually own is really getting quite uh necess- necessary for a lot of investors today because the markets are at all-time highs and what's been driving this has been a lot of the big tech names you know just a few years ago the S&P 500 the technology sleeve of the S&P 500 made up about half as much of the market cap value that it does today Today, the S&P 500 makes up, or I'm sorry, the technology sleeve makes up for about 23% of the overall index. And when you take a look at, at your investments in your 401K, in the government TSP, the, the C fund, um, and in your 403B plan, and in your, in, your, in your non-retirement account investments, when you look behind the scenes at what you own, there's a very, very good chance that most of your mutual funds that are large cap in, in, in nature own a lot of these very same technology companies that are in the S&P 500. So what I'm, what I'm talking about here is, is we've seen people come into the office where they have you know, an S&P 500 ETF, which is fine, and then they have some mutual funds around that, but behind the scenes in those mutual funds, the top 10 holdings are pretty much the top 10 in the S&P. So you want to make sure that you understand the amount of dollars you have allocated towards one asset sector. I'm not talking asset class. I'm talking asset sector. Sectors meaning real estate, technology, healthcare, that type of stuff. Uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot of it built up in or sort of baked in there right now. So just keep an eye on all of that. One of the ways that you can understand what you own is by doing what's called a stock overlay report hmm. and, an, and a sector, re, sector analysis report. Basically, uh, you know, j- I just did this for someone the other day put in all their information. We pulled up the Morningstar reports in a portfolio, and we said, you know, look, behind the scenes, you're not as diversified as you think you are because of the names of the positions that you have, the names of the funds and ETFs. And they were quite wide-eyed. They looked at it and said, you're exactly right. I see exactly what you're talking about. Now you can make the decision on, okay, do I want to stay in this area and be overweight in these certain areas, or do I want to go ahead and, and diversify a little bit? But but understanding what you own, because certain segments of the markets have moved a lot larger than other segments, so you actually end up owning more of that segment. So you got some fancy-smancy software that does that for you? And lays it's it crazy-fancy-smancy, Chris. Yes. Wow, that's great. It does all kinds of things for you. So you Absolutely. can check and see what's overweighted, what isn't overweighted, what the uh, fund is actually investing in, I guess. Yes, you definitely can. Sweet. You definitely can. And there's positions out there that will counterbalance that and give you better diversification to the beta of, the, of your investments. Anyway, just a little bit of a of, uh, little tidbit there to understand what you own. Know what you own. Take a good look at it. You know, we're moving into the uh, the fourth quarter here in a couple of weeks. It's a good time to get to start thinking about, you know, year-end planning and am I we're positioned where I want to be right now and, and different things of that nature. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. And our phone number here is 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Is it true that he with most toys at the end wins? Or is it, or is it if you get too much stuff, you're always worried about somebody else taking it? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no and yes, that's probably right, Chris. Yeah, he or she who dies with the most toys does not win, and that's sort of the way the world looks at things. And and if you have too much stuff, you get worried about people taking it. Yeah, I, I that's probably it. You know, it's it's funny in in Proverbs fifteen sixteen it says, "Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it." You really break that down. It's it's better to have less worldly possessions and have the fear of the Lord with you than to have a lot of worldly possessions and a whole lot of worldly turmoil with it because you're always trying to get more and more. You know, the Bible's pretty clear there. You know, your 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 quest for more and more stuff's never going to stop. Yeah, and I think that it also when you really think about that, having the fear of the Lord is also having peace, right? And when you have that peace in your life, then you're just living a lot happier versus worrying and concerned and and just just you know just not being able to use that money for good purposes because you're just hoarding it. It's like the guy, the parable of the talents, the guy who buried buried his talent instead of going out and helping and serving people. Correct. It's just like I heard a pastor the other day on the radio saying, you know, the internet is being used for so many bad things, oh, but yeah. it can also be used for so many good things too, just like money. Just like assets. Assets can be used for a lot of bad things, but they can also be used for a tremendous amount of good things. Yeah, it's not so bad to have wealth. If you use it you know, for a good purpose and are a good steward over that money, then you're you're doing well. It's almost like you're expanding on your talents in a way. It could be, yeah. I mean, I, I think that you have to respect – you have to put, you know, as you, as you called it, wealth. You have to put wealth in its right place in your life, mm-hmm. and that is definitely – not before the Lord. It's not before others. It's not before your family. It's not before you. You know, it's just something that's come along, and you've got to figure out ways to give it. You know, put put more of it back into the Lord's kingdom. Amen. So Amen. definitely, yep. definitely. Yep, I agree. So hey, give us a ring here eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three for any of your financial planning or investment questions. Be happy to take those calls. Well, Larry, there we go. Another uh, another Saturday and uh, some wonderful times here on the radio show. Always good to see you, and I always enjoy doing these programs with you every week. Absolutely, Chris. It's a lot of fun, especially when we get a lot of callers like today. It's It just makes it for a lot of fun. And remember, go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, for our latest videos, our latest news announcements. We're going to be rolling out some seminars here later this year and in the beginning of next uh, on some different subject matters and topics and things. And remember, if you'd like uh, me to come out to your church and do a Bible-based money management seminar, be more than happy to do that. We've had some people calling in requesting that, so you can give my office a call. It's uh, 855-ROSE-123, or simply go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com. Be more than happy to come out and do that. So for Bob in the back and Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next Saturday with another session of Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show. 